Welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. This week, Pastor Scott Smith is going to share with us tips on how to make any relationship better with truths found in the Apostle Paul's famous chapter on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We hope this sermon will be a blessing to you and to your families. And if it is, we ask that you would leave us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts to help other people find us more easily. Have a great week. You know, in week one, we talked about, as we're learning about love, we're learning about relationships, we talked about the fact uh, of where good relationships begin, that good relationships um, are not dependent on the other person. doesn't matter who the other person is in the relationship, good relationships begin with who? With, with us, Okay. The responsibility lies as far as depends upon us. We talked about last week, live peaceably with all men. So good relationships begin with us. You can't control the other person. Only person you can control is, is you, okay? It's, it's, it's yourself. Last week, we built on that, talking about how to build good relationships. We talked about what, what a good relationships look like with other believers, what a good relationships look like with unbelievers, and, uh, and in, our, uh, in our families, in our marriages, in our workplace, all of those things we're talking about. And so today, we're going to talk about, uh, listen, that no matter what kind of relationship it is, whether it's your marriage relationship, whether it's a sibling relationship, whether it's a work relationship, um, no matter what kind of relationship it is, there is something that you can do to make that relationship better. And if, if, if you say, you know what, Pastor, I've got this relationship and it's good, but man, I want to take the next level. What we're going to talk about today, that will take this that relationship to the next level. Uh, you say, man, I've, I've got this relationship at work and man, we just, we, neither one of us can stand to see each other. If you'll put into practice what we're talking about today, it will make that relationship better. And the answer to that is, what can I do, Pastor, to make this relationship? You can love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. We're going to talk about that today. Um, how many of you uh, have, have ever been to the circus and love to see the trapeze show? I love to see that, you know. You go to the circus and you see the trapeze artists up and, you know, swinging on the, the, um, the bar and so forth, and they're flipping back and forth. And, you know, I don't know. I, I love to go to the circus. It's been a long time, but go to the circus and see that, and you just, you're kind of mesmerized, Right. You know, I think everything, I think guys like to think when we see stuff like that or anything athletic, we think, I could do that. I could do that. The reality is I can't do that, all right? Um, I can't do that. But we look at those things and we're mesmerized by seeing the athleticism and, and, and seeing the dexterity and the timing. And, man, they're almost misses, but they grab the hands. Yeah, every now and then they miss. They've got that net, right? So even when they miss, they look, it looks beautiful. They hit the net, pop back up, grab the hands, and keep going, right? It's just kind of like that. But everybody in the circus is focused on them and just watching every move they make. I believe that's a lot like... We live as Christians. Uh, as Christians, we live in a world, and we're kind of like trapeze artists. What I mean by that is the whole world is watching how we live. And particularly, the whole world is watching how we treat other people. They do. Um, now, they should be able to say, here's what the testimony should be able to say. If we're living up to what Christ has called us to, they should be able to say, look at how those Christians live. They love one another. Look how well the, those Christian husbands treat their wives. Look how, look how, uh, how, how good those employees are. Look, look, they're the best workers. Look at those folks. They're the best neighbors. The, the, look, those, those young people are the best students. That's how, what people should be saying, right? And as we live kind of like trapeze artists, the whole world looking. Now, certainly we fail at times, right? Man, we do, we do. Kind of like trapeze artists, we've got a net, we've got the grace of God, amen? That when we, you know, we don't, we don't have to be perfect. We know that. But God calls us to live lives where we are to love one another, to love your brother and sister, to love your neighbor. So we've been talking about that. We hear that command, but what does that look like? 
How do we do that? Very practically speaking, what does it mean to actually love others? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And we're going to look at a very, 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 very familiar text. Okay? In fact, this text, most of you probably had this text um, recited at your wedding, right? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to look at it together here. You've got your outline. Uh, We're going to look at some characteristics of love and what does love actually look like? How do we do that? Number one, the first characteristic. The first characteristic we need to understand about love is this, friends. It is that love is the essential ingredient of good, healthy relationships. Love is the essential ingredient of good, healthy relationships. Here in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 12, Paul is um, writing to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts. And he's talking about the fact that as believers, if once we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, yes, we all have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. One of the benefits of that is that the Holy Spirit gives each and every one of us at least one spiritual gift, not to be used for ourselves, but to be, to be used in the body of Christ. That's to serve the body of Christ and as a body then to serve the world. And so he's explaining how the Holy Spirit gives gifts to us as believers and how we are to use those to serve others. And in chapter 13, he turns ever so slightly to talk about something else that is vital to our relationships. And he says, listen, because one of the problems is the Corinthians had seen, uh, knew about spiritual gifts and knew about the Holy Spirit. And so they then were grasping for spiritual gifts. It was kind of like a, uh, you know, who's who of, I mean, I got this gift. I'm going to use it, blah, 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 all this. And so they were using some of their spiritual gifts in kind of a prideful way. And they were also using them in a way that sometimes wasn't even very godly. Very nice to other people. And so Paul here in chapter 13, verse 1, wants to make sure that they understand that spiritual gifts, our life in Christ, is supposed to be lived in a very specific way. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Paul writes, he writes, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul here is saying, listen, um, even though I may have, now, is he talking about the gift of tongues here? Yes, but he's talking more just, you know, even if I'm a, if I'm a, I can be a great orator. I can have the best speaking ability ever. But if I have not love, I am just like a bunch of noise. Blah, 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 right? If there's not love, I don't love others. Look at verse 2. He goes on, he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, I can could, I could, I could see the future, I can proclaim the word of God and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Even if I understand everything about the mysteries of God and understand who he is and all that, and, and I, you know, even understand, you know, some people think, you know what, I just want to gain more knowledge. I want to learn more about the world. He says, you can do all of that. And though I have all faith as so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Friends, we can know a lot, we can have a lot of knowledge, we can, we can have faith that something will happen, but if we don't love people, guess what? We've missed the boat. We've missed the message. Verse 3 says, and though I bestow all my goods to the, feed the poor, Listen, you can be the biggest giver in the world. You can, have, you can be, be so generous. And though I give my body to be burned, you can be willing to sacrifice yourself, he says, but have not love. It profits me nothing. We can be so generous. We can be the most generous person. We can be the most giving person. We can be willing to, willing to die, right? But if we don't have love, if we don't love the people we serve, what does Paul say here? He says, it profits me nothing. What Paul's really saying, friends, is we can do all the right things. We can say all the right things. We can think all the right things. But if we don't have the love of Christ in our hearts that shows itself through loving our fellow man, then we are just fooling ourselves. Amen? Love 
is the most important thing we can have. It's the most important attitude that you can have. Why don't you look at this passage with me up on the screen this morning, Romans chapter 13. We were in Romans chapter 12 last week, and this is kind of a continuation of that thought that Paul uh, was talking about from last week. But he says in Romans 13, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. So what's he really saying? He's saying, listen, we don't owe anybody anything, but what you do owe other people is you owe it to love them. You owe it to love them. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Okay, he's going to expand on this idea. And this idea is not just here in Romans 13, but it was in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Against such there is no law. Uh, uh, What we find out is that we can fulfill the, the law by doing this one thing. He says, for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely what? You shall Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Very simply put, friends, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder them, right? If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from them. If you love your neighbor, you love your coworker, you're not going to lie to them. You're not going to take from them. You're not going to do any of those things. So love, if we just simply, oh, I need to memorize all the Ten Commandments and all this, listen, nothing wrong with that. That's good. But you know what? Here's the one commandment you need to memorize, Jesus says. Love others. Love one another. Love your neighbor. Paul is just reiterating here what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5. Amen? That if we will truly love one another, then we'll automatically fulfill all the rest of what God calls us to do. We don't need to parse out the 600 and some odd different commandments or whatever that the Pharisees did. Jesus gave us one, and we can't do that right half the time. Now, what kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about a romantic kind of love. We just celebrated Valentine's Day on Monday. Guys, I hope you lived up to the challenge. Um, are we talking about romantic love? Are we talking about a brotherly kind of love? Are we talking about some other kind of love? You know, there are three main Greek words um, that are translated love in English. The first is the word eros. Okay, it's where we get our English word erotic it's talking about a sensual love, a ro- romantic love, uh, if you will, uh, uh, even a lust, if, if you will, um, can be used talking about husband and wife. Um, amazingly enough, um, this word is not even used in the New Testament at all. <laughs> not even used. So we're not talking here about eros, okay? Not talking about a sensual romantic love. There's another word uh, in Greek for love, and that is phileo. Right, we talked about this last week, where we get this, uh, the the city Philadelphia is the the city of brotherly love, right? And phileo is just that it's it's, it's a brotherly kind of love, a, a love between siblings. It's a uh, we talked about last week in the context of it's a love that we're supposed to have for um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We are family, and so we we are, we are to love like that. But that's not the word that 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 Paul uses here. It's not the word that Jesus uses. You see, because there's a third word that's really a higher kind of love. You know what it is. It's agape, right? It's that agape kind of love. It is a selfless, sacrificial, giving kind of love. It's not just a feeling, you know? Whew. No. You know, like, you know, we understand when you, you know, when you met your spouse, probably you had those goosebumps come all over you, you know, and you get all lovey-dovey and you get that feeling. Uh, agape is not just a feeling. It's a, it's a choice. It's an act of the will. I choose to love, yes, my spouse. I choose to love others, okay? It's a self-giving kind of love, right? It's a self-sacrificing kind of love. It's the type of love that God showed us and demonstrated to us on the cross when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. It's that, I'm not, I don't care about myself. I care more about you than I care about me. It's, It's this kind of love that we're commanded to love others with, amen? So the question becomes, how do we do that? Pastor, that's a, that's a big kind of love. 
That's a, uh, that's, a, um, that, that's a love that is above and beyond, Pastor. Where do we learn to love like this? Where, where can we get this kind of love? I don't know anywhere in Scripture that's a better place to go to answer that question than 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Put it on the screen for you here this morning or turn in your Bibles if you will. Um, 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another. There's the command, right? Let us agape one another for love is of God. Where does the love come from? Where does that kind of love come from? It comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So what John is saying here is that if we learn how to love that way, there's only one way to get that, and that is through a relationship with him being born of God. He says, he who does not love, verse 8, does not know God, for God is love. He then turns it around on the other side, and he says, listen, if we don't love like that, the reason is because we don't really know even what that kind of love is because we don't know God. He says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us. So here's how we learn or know about that kind of love. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God. A lot of people think, well, you know, I love God, so therefore, you know, he's going to. It has nothing to do really with our love for God. It's our response to him. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of the wrath of God against our sins. In other words, Jesus stepped out of heaven, stepped out of glory, and said, imagine the most most wonderful place ever. And he was willing to leave that to come here and not to live in a palace, but to live in a stable, be born in a stable, right? And all of that, and be willing to live just a very humble life, not even to own anything on this earth, but he's willing to do all of that and really to be a nomad for, for 33 years and then to die, willing to give himself, his body as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine, and he was willing to do that for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. So where do we learn to love like this? from God. Amen. We learn it from God. He demonstrated that self-sacrificial giving kind of love. Uh, We learned it from the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. So what we learn is, friends, that is the essential ingredient for good, healthy relationships. Now, if we are to love like that, what specifically does it look like? What specifically does that look like for us? Because it doesn't mean that we die on a cross, right? So if that's what it looked like, for what does it mean for us? That leads us to number two. It leads us to number two as Paul gets very specific here. Number two is this. Love puts others before yourself. Love puts others before, priority-wise, yourself. Look at verse three. Um, before we get there, uh, you know, our natural inclination is to look out for our, to look out for who? It's ourself, right? Look out for number one. In fact, as I said a second ago, when most people think about love, w- w- the first thing that comes to their mind is those warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Ooh, I love you. You know? And so they think about that, but if you really think about it, those warm, fuzzy feelings, who, who is that focused on? That's about me. It's not about the person I'm loving this. That's about those warm, fuzzy feelings, right? In fact, when many people say, I love you to their spouse or to their significant other, you know what many people, when many people say, I love you, here's what they really mean. I love me and I want you. Um, That's very selfish when you think about it, right? And so people are really concerned about making themselves happy, not making the other person happy. Um, Alan Redpath tells the story of a young woman who came to her pastor. She was desperate and despondent. She said, there's a man who says that he loves me so much that he will kill himself if I don't marry him. She was distraught. She didn't want to marry the guy, but she didn't want want him to kill himself either, right? She won't be responsible for that. So she's like, what do I do? He says that. You know what the pastor said? Don't do anything. (laughs) Don't worry about it. The pastor said, this man doesn't love you. He loves himself. Such a threat isn't real love, it's just selfishness. We make statements, things like that, friends, um, that are not statements of real love. That kind of love is not a real love. Real love, agape love, starts by putting the other person before 
yourself. Let's look at this this list that Paul lays out here. Beginning in verse 4, Paul lays out some of the real characteristics of love. Okay? What does he start with? He says, love suffers long, or love is patient, right? Love is long-suffering. It means that um, love is not quick, quick to judgment. Love is not quick to get easily angered, right? Um, when someone exhausts your patience and you're at the end of your rope with them, man, I don't, what am I going to do with this person? Showing, loves mean, showing love means that you are patient with them. <sighs> okay. It means that you don't go off on them, Amen. It means, means that you don't lash back. When you are long-suffering, you are never more like God when you are, than when you are long-suffering and when you're patient. You know, um, we are such sinners um, that God has the right. He could zap us, send us to hell at any moment, right? And he would be perfectly justified. Perfectly justified in that. In fact, there's an old story of a, of a guy who, who said the reason he didn't believe in God is because he was such a sinner, he, if there was really a God, God would not allow him to keep sinning the way he did. Here's the answer to that. You know what? God's patience is not exhausted in five minutes of our sin. The Bible says that God is long-suffering. God is willing that not willing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. In other words, God is patient with us, waiting for us to turn around, waiting for us to repent. And so in a similar type way, we are called to love others with that same kind of love, right? When they irritate us, when they get on our nerves, when we think we're at the end of our rope, think of how patient God is with you. Love is patient. That's not all. Love is what? Love is kind. Love is kind. It's nice. It's gentle, right? Love is just, love, love is not mean. Love is not, it's not, you don't bark at someone, right? It's so easy to bark at someone else or at others and be grumpy towards them. But God calls us here to be gracious and kind and nice towards others. Love is patient, love is kind. Third, love does not envy. Uh, some of your translations say it's not jealous. Um, some people want to make out that jealousy is a, a deep love, right? I'm jealous because I love you. Um, listen, we, we are jealous for others because it has to do with us. <laughs> um, that's not real love. Love is not jealous. Love does not envy. It doesn't envy what other people have. doesn't want other people not to have it because they've got something better than us. We're, why are we always so jealous of others? Always want what they want, always, always uh, want what they have, envy their success, um, uh, want what, how, or jealous of how God has blessed them? That's not love. That's selfishness. Friends, real love is happy for others. Amen? Be happy for others when something good happens to them. So love is patient, love is kind, love is not envy or it's not jealous. Love does not parade itself. In other words, it doesn't brag, it's not puffed up. Love doesn't brag about its own accomplishments going around. Because here's the deal, when you, when you brag about your accomplishments, when you are proud and try to put yourself on a pedestal, what are you doing to others? You're putting yourself on a pedestal so that others can be where? Beneath you. Love thinks of others. Friends, it's, it's impossible to build ourselves up without putting others down. Um, love doesn't do that. Why? Because it wants to lift others up. Love doesn't want to hurt others. Look at verse 5. It says, love does not behave rudely. Why is it sometimes that we are the rudest with the people that are closest to us? Because we let down our guard, right? Listen, let me just say one thing right in the middle here. Um, loving others is not putting on an act. Love is, is allowing the Spirit of God to come into your soul and change you. And that is admitting that you are all these bad things that I've been talking about, and so am I. 
And that without Christ, that's where we end up. But with Jesus in us and working in us and through us, he can change us to make our character those fruits of the Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our heart and our life and allows us to be patient and kind and and not jealous and and not boastful and not puffed up, not behaving rudely. And uh, uh, listen, love is not snarky, amen? It's not mean, spirited. It's not sarcastic. It doesn't act ugly towards others. It is polite, gracious, and considerate towards others. You know why this is so important for us as Christians? Not just in your marriage, okay? It's important in your marriage, amen? Uh, You know what the second uh, most important quality in a marriage is? We'll talk about this next week, and that's forgiveness. (laughs) We need forgiveness, amen? It's because we don't love like we did, like we're supposed to. Um, But you know why it's so important? It's already got off track there a little bit. It's so important for us as Christians to love others and not to be rude because we can lose our witness so quickly by being mean and rude and snarky towards others. Think somebody wants to hear the gospel after you've gone off on them? Absolutely not. Love is does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Here, this kind of sums up what Paul's been saying, that love is simply put, it's not selfish. It's not about me. Love is not provoked, he says here. Love, love thinks, first, it's not provoked. It's not easily angered. Reminds me of the first one, that love is patient, right? It's not easily provoked, you know? You don't want to be one of those people that people have to walk around on eggshells because they're afraid of setting you off. Um. If, if that's you, if you know that's you, then, then you need to get on your knees and say, Lord, change me. Um, and love thinks no evil. Probably that phrase is better translated in other translations. Um, it keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, when we love somebody, we don't keep a list of offenses that they've done against us. Listen, don't go dragging that mess up, okay? Forget about it. Forget about it. We want to take a little Italian accent there. Forget about it. Forget it. Let it go. It doesn't matter. If you want to love somebody, love doesn't keep an account of that when somebody offends you. It doesn't keep bringing up the past. It's let it go. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. There is... The common thread about all these characteristics that we see here in verse 4 and 5 is this. Friends, is that they are hindered by a self-centered way of thinking. If we can get our eyes off of ourselves and we can think of others before, before ourselves in priority, then loving people in these kind of ways becomes a lot easier. Amen? Get your eyes off of yourself and, and care more about others than you do about yourself. Friends, it's when we get centered on ourselves that we become impatient and mean and jealous and boastful and arrogant and rude and easily angered. That's when we become all those things is when we just, all we care about is ourselves. friends. That's how, not how God wants us to relate to others. Amen? And that type of attitude will destroy every relationship that you have. In fact, do you know how to not win friends? Be self-centered, arrogant, boastful, easily angered, mean-spirited, jealous, and rude, and see what happens. If that's you, you won't have any friends. You'll, you'll, you'll offend everybody you come in contact, friends, but love does the exact opposite. Love puts others where? Before ourselves. Number three, not only does love put others before ourselves, but number three, love wants God's best for others. Love wants God's best for others. Now, I want, I want you to hang with me here. I want you, I'm going to need to explain this just a little bit, okay? Um, because we may think of this and we think, well, pastor, it's not that I want bad for other people. Um, that's not really the opposite of what I'm talking about here. Um, the opposite of what I'm talking about is just not caring about others. Love wants God's best for others. Um, some might, might ask, after we talked about loving others just a minute ago, and all those things, we're supposed to put other people first and all that. And so some might ask, Pastor, if loving others means putting other people first and putting their needs first and their wants first, does that mean then that we, that we ought to always love and support them in whatever they want to do? 
We're just supposed to love them and, 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 and just love them and so forth. And so that it doesn't matter what they're, even, even if it's not right. No, of course not. Friends, that's not loving them either, just to let them do whatever they want. Verse 6 defines this for us. Because I think Paul, in the middle here, um, is saying, you know, I'm telling them all these things to do, but I don't want them to misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay? Um, Love is not, hey, you know, just live life however you want to live it. Because... You're not being loving if, if, if you let somebody do that. Verse 6 puts it this way. It says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Okay? So what does that mean? Love does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in what is right. Um, in other words, love cares enough about the other person and has the guts to lovingly confront others when they are in unrepentant sin. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I do not believe that love just goes around and gives our opinion and points out other people. You're sinning here, and you're saying you need to stop doing this, and you need to do that, stop doing that. And blah. That's not love, okay? That's rude. But if they are in blatant, unrepentant sin, then love prays about it, considers whether God, that is something that God wants you to confront, and sometimes God calls us to lovingly, graciously, tactfully go to that person, maybe about something they're involved in or that something's going on in their life. Here's the underlying principle. It is that love always wants the best for others. Amen? Even when it's hard. Listen, um, even when it's hard, even when they don't see it, even when, when they may not like you for it, um, it is not love to allow someone to continue doing something that you know will harm them and possibly even others. That's not love. Some people say, well, I love them, so I'm just going to, there's nothing I can do about it, whatever. And listen, I know some cases, maybe you're in a situation like that, and you've gone to that person, and you have tried, and maybe it's a, a an adult child that's just off living in la-la land, and they're just doing some things that you know they shouldn't be doing, they know they shouldn't be doing, and you've tried to confront them about that. That's not what I'm talking about. You've done that lovingly, and you continue to pray for them. But friends, um, when we are unwilling to lovingly speak to our those who we love about maybe something that they're involved with that's going to hurt them or hurt others, then, then, then that's not love either. Love, lovingly, prayerfully, patiently, carefully, humbly seeks the best for others. And sometimes that means confronting them about something that's going on in their life, something where they are wrong. Amen? But it only does it because you are seeking God's best for them. It doesn't just go around seeking some sin to point out. Amen? Everybody understand what I'm saying there? Okay? Um, that's, that's rude. That's obnoxious. Uh, doesn't do it because you think you have a divine mandate. Okay? Um, God hasn't given you a, 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 a special scepter to, to intervene in everybody's life. Okay? But when you have a relationship with someone and you see that there's something in their life that um, is not where they need to be, it is love to go lovingly go to them and call them out on that. Amen. All right. So, Love is essential. Love puts others before ourselves. Love wants God's best for the other person. Number four, love goes the distance. Love goes the distance. I I struggled a little bit of how I wanted to state this. Love perseveres. Love sticks with that person no matter what. That's what real love does. Um, Look at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul just starts listing off several things to describe this. He says, love bears all things. Now, obviously, this is an exaggeration based on what we just talked about. Okay, it doesn't bear all things. But what he's saying here is, listen, um, uh, love bears with people through difficult times. Amen? Love is, 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 is quick to forgive. Forgives even when the other person doesn't ask for it. Friends, remember, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It sticks it out. Love suffers through whatever. So love bears all things. Love believes all things. 
It believes the best about others. You know, when there's something, well, you know, they did this, and man, they just, he, he meant to hurt me. She did that, and she knew exactly what she was doing. I can't believe she did that. Believe the best about the person. You know, I, it's easy to jump to conclusions, but you, listen, instead of thinking that way, think, you know what? Uh, he didn't really mean to say it that way. You know what? He must have had a bad day. Um, because remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we think somebody's hurt us and then we come lashing back, that doesn't, that doesn't dissipate the situation, does it? It escalates it. So, friends, we need to believe all things. We need to bear all things. We need to, it said love hopes all things. Lo, love, love hopes for the best, amen? Love hopes for a good resolution. Love hopes for reconciliation. Love hopes for them to do what is right. Love endures all things. Uh, kind of a, a repetition, a little bit of, of bears all things, but, but love puts up with a lot. The reality is that the easy thing to do when someone offends you or someone wrongs you is to break off the relationship with them. Run the other way, right? That's an easy thing. You know what? I'm not having anything to do with them anymore. It's just to avoid them or keep them at arm's length. Friends, but, but is that what the Lord Jesus calls us to do? No. In fact, some people say, well, pastor, what about it? church discipline and all that kind of stuff? Listen, that's only down the road after all other avenues have been exhausted. Okay? That's not what God calls us to do. God calls us. The Bible doesn't say if your brother offends you, avoid him. If, you're, if your sister makes you mad, let her go her own way. If you feel wronged by someone, uh, break off that relationship. That's not what the Scripture says. Amen? Jesus says what? He says, Matthew 18 says, says, go to them and work it out is what it really starts with. Go to them and get the problem solved. Jesus says, love your neighbor. Jesus even goes far. He says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. So Jesus' command to us on a personal level is not to, to, to abandon them. It is to stick with them. Uh, you know, um, it's the love. There's nothing stronger than the love between brother, between brothers. And that's the way it should be for us as believers. Amen? You may say, but pastor, you just don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. Uh, you don't know how they make me feel. Pastor, they don't deserve my love. <laughs> they don't deserve your love. Well, guess what? You don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve God's love, but he loved me anyway. He loved me anyway. Even though I'm a wretch, I bust hell wide open on my best day. I'm a sinner separated from God by my sin, yet he sent his son. Jesus was willing to step out of heaven to come and live a sinless life, but, but to suffer and to die for me and for you when we didn't deserve it, friends. The command in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 is this, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So what are we to do? Our, the command is to love one another and let love cover a multitude of sins. So even going back to what we're talking about, listen, it, it doesn't mean you're supposed to go pointing out everybody's little you know, pro problem, whatever. Lo if you're loving them means, you know what, I'm just going to let love cover that. <laughs> and just say that in your head. You know, mm, that's one love's going to have to cover. Okay? Just let love cover it. You know, love will cover multitude. Now, this doesn't mean that we should always turn our eyes or that we should ignore blatant, unrepentant sin. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that we as Christians who have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross for us ought to overlook sins against us, if at all possible, and always be ready and willing to forgive insults and unkindnesses against us. We shouldn't be so quick to take offense, especially against a brother or sister in Christ. Amen? We shouldn't hold grudges. We should be willing to give others the benefit of the doubt. We should be willing to accept others, even with their failures. If you, don't, if you will never accept others with their failures, you will never have a friend. The friends you have, you've accepted some failures that they have in their life.
There's others that you think, well, those failures I'm not going to accept. Why? Love sees people not as who they are, but as who they will be in Christ. Brings us to the fifth characteristic of love that I want us to talk about this morning, and then we'll be done. Number five, friends, love is the glue that binds relationships together. Love is the glue that binds relationships together. You know verse 8, right? Verse 7, you can't really say the first part of verse 8 without, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. The word fails is actually the Greek word ekpepto, okay, not ekpepto, okay, I'm not talking about your digestive system here, all right, ekpepto. It means to perish or to fall off. Love never falls off. Love never perishes. Um, it's to be without effect. Love um, is not without effect. In fact, we maybe can better understand what Paul is saying here by looking at the rest of verse 8 and what he says here. He says, love never fails. And then he brings back, talking about some of the gifts that he talked about there in verse 1 through 3. He says, where there are prophecies, they will fail. Okay. Now, the word fail here doesn't maybe mean fail as in success or failure, but what it means is where there are prophecies, there will be one day when they're not needed. Okay. So the, the prophecies, there will be a day when prophecies are not needed. By, by what Paul is saying here is if prophecies will not be needed, he's saying love is always needed. Amen? Love is always needed. He goes on, he says, where there are tongues, they will cease. Now, yes, there's a lot of other things we could talk about here, but we're not on that today. We're talking about love, okay? Where there are tongues, they will cease. So by implication, what he's saying is that love will not. Love will not cease. He says, where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. So by implication here, he's saying that love will never vanish away. All these other things he's talking about, saying, listen, they're going to be gone. They're going to cease. They're going to not be necessary one day. But love is permanent. Look down at verse 13. He says, and now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Is what? Is what? Love one another. Love is permanent. It will never cease. It will never fail. It will never be without effect. It will never vanish away. Friends, when we exhibit and show true love in the way we relate to and treat other people, every one of our relationships and every relationship we have will be strengthened. Every relationship we have will begin to enter a new level of closeness that we never thought possible. When we choose to love others, it changes our mindset. We go, just if you choose to love others, I want you to watch your relationships. They will, they will just, they will blossom. They, they will strengthen. Um, guys, maybe blossom's not what you're looking for. They will, they will, they will bond, okay? You know, you bro bonding, okay? And so, but they will, they, they, they will go to another level, friends. And, and what you'll find is that that critical spirit, that critical fault-finding spirit that we often have goes away when we learn to treat others the way Jesus has treated us. If you'll just keep that one thing in mind, that I don't deserve his love, yet he's loved me anyway, Amen. Others may not deserve our love, but what are we to do? Love them anyway. Old broken relationships can be repaired when we make a choice to show love, real love, agape kind of love to every person we know. Newer relationships that we have, when we start loving people like Jesus did, friends, when we take the initiative to love people like Jesus did, friends, love has the ability to strengthen and bind relationships together. It's how we can make any relationship better. Uh, in his book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness, author Jerry Cook describes a church out in the state of Washington that grew in 14 years to more than 4,000 people. One of the reasons they did was because the people of that church made a commitment to each other. I want you to listen to the commitment that each person, when you join that church, had to make this commitment. It says this. It says, you will never knowingly suffer at my hands. I will never say anything or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I will always, in every circumstance, seek to help you and support you. If you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. 
If you need something and I have it, I'll share it with you. If I need to, I'll give it to you. No matter what I find out about you, no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change. And there's nothing you can do about it. You know where that comes from? That's 1 Corinthians 13. It's that kind of love. Friends, that's the kind of love that transforms the world. Amen? It's the kind of world we want, kind of love we want. Amen? Then let's demonstrate it. Amen? Do you love others like that? Are we loving others like that? I want to close with a story um, that I think nails this down. Um, in a book, in his book entitled Hidden in Plain Sight, author and pastor Mark Buchanan tells the story of a mother, a mom by the name of Tracy. Um, Tracy had had a difficult week. Anybody been there? Been there, done that, right? In fact, she describes her week. She says it was chaotic. She said it was a mess of petty crises on top of crises on top of a rash of minor accidents. She said, all mixed up in a soup can of crazy busyness, it had left her weary and cranky, and we all can relate. Amen? However, in a weird kind of way, one morning, her eight-year-old daughter, Tracy's eight-year-old daughter, Brenna, helped her gain a new perspective. One morning, Tracy walked into her living room and noticed with shock that her picture window, the big picture window looking out of her, out of her living room into her backyard was covered with writing. Evidently, her eight-year-old daughter, Brenna, had used a crayon to scribble and write all across the picture window words from top to bottom and from side to side. Now, as you can imagine, as any parent would do, at first, her blood began to boil. What in the world? Why would she do this, right? Just one more mess that she had to clean up until she stopped and realized what Brenna had written. It's what she'd written on the window. Love, joy, peace, patience. And she didn't get all the spellings right. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Mark writes, Tracy stopped, drank it in, and her heart flooded with light. It was exactly what she needed to be reminded about, the gift of the fruit of the Spirit that arises not by our circumstances, friends, but by Christ within us. Then Tracy noticed one more thing that Brenna had written. Down at the bottom in the corner at the edge of the window, she had written, love one another. But again, because she was just a little girl, she misspelled the word one. If you see up there, she wrote love one, W-O-N, another. How prophetic, amen? How prophetic. As Mark Buchanan concludes, he said, it's what Jesus has been trying to tell us all along. Friends, we were one that way, amen? Now let us go win others that way. Love wins another. You know how to make that relationship better? When I say that relationship, every single one of you has a relationship that you're thinking about that you need, needs to be better. You know how to make that relationship better? Love wins another. Love. Friends, the question for you today is who do you need to love? Who do you need to win? What relationship do you need to make better? today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, um, first of all, acknowledging that we're not perfect, Lord. We never will be, but you are the perfect one, and you have demonstrated to us, Lord, a, a kind of love that is... Um, that is so wonderful, that is so attractive, Lord, that drew us in to a relationship with you. If we know you as Lord and Savior, 
And so, Lord, as we have experienced your love, Lord, let us then reflect that love to others. Friend, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you've never, you've never received the love that God has poured out for you. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that if you would receive his love, you can become a child of his and, and, and be part of his family. Pastor, how do I do that? It is by praying and inviting him into your life. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I simply I need you as my Savior. I believe you can save me. You paid for my sin and I trust you and you alone. Friends, when you surrender to him and surrender to that, you become a part of God's family. Now, to those of you who are a part of God's family, I ask you, what relationships do you need to increase the quotient of love in? What relationships have you allowed to not be where they need to be? Would you give those to the Lord right now and say, Lord, forgive me. Maybe this is going to involve going to somebody and saying, please forgive me for the way I've acted. Please forgive me for the way I've treated you. I'm going to try to let the love of Christ flow through me and try to be better. I'm going to try to let God change me into a new person as I surrender to him. Lord, you hear our hearts. Lord, I pray that you convict us where we need convicting and in the relationships that we need convicted about. That, Lord, you would help us to live just letting you live through us. Letting your love rise to the top. Lord, convict us when we act in the flesh. Speak loudly, letting your spirit tell us how when and why and where and all of that, Lord, of what we ought to be doing different. And Lord, help us surrender each and every day. It's in your holy, precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks, and have a great week.